Sweden. I'm on the missions committee here at Grace Covenant. Uh, today I'm uh, especially excited to have uh, Grant Haynes with us uh, this morning. Uh, Grant uh, goes back to uh, well before my time, and I've been here about 20 years. So uh, Grant's wife, uh, Jen, was at uh, Grace Covenant back in uh, uh, the mid-90s, so uh, she's one of the uh, OGs here, along with the uh, Tewksburys and the uh, Tuttles. So, uh, yeah, that's exciting uh, that uh, we can have Grant for that reason. But the other reason I'm excited about is that um, uh, probably seven years ago, a bunch of us went down to uh, his uh, ministry in Clarkston, Georgia, which is known to be the uh, most diverse square mile in uh, the U.S., and that's because uh, refugees resettle there from all around the world. The U.S. used to take in about 85,000 refugees each year, and a lot of them would end up down in Clarkston, Georgia. And it's through this that our church uh, started up, um, and other factors started up, the uh, refugee ministry down in Newport News. Um, I'll be talking about that a little more in a couple of uh, weeks, so... uh, Stay tuned, but uh, do know it's been a very rewarding um, opportunity to reach uh, people from the uh, second most uh, closed country in the world. So uh, if you have any questions about uh, following up from Grant's sermon, uh, feel free to approach me or Mary Slade or Alan Slade. Uh, they're floating around here somewhere. And um, so thanks, Grant, for uh, bringing God's word to us this morning. Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you guys. Um, Like Nathan said, you guys have been with us since the beginning of our missions journey. Thank you for pouring into my wife, discipling her well during her college years at William & Mary. She grew a lot and blossomed in this church. You guys supported her as she went on her first short-term mission trip, uh, which I'm really grateful for because I met her on that mission trip. Uh, We did a long-distance relationship for a few years, and then God sent us down to southern Mexico. Uh, you guys have blessed her financially as a single person and us as a married family for all of those 23, 24 years. So thank you guys for your faithful financial support. You guys' prayers, I think that's kept us on the mission field several times when we were probably ready to pack our bags and God, are you doing anything in this ministry? Are people ever going to come to know you in some of these villages in Mexico or sometimes the long hard work it takes to see Muslims decide to follow Jesus um, as refugees that we're ministering to? So thank you guys so much for your prayers as a church, as an encouragement. Several of you guys came and visited us down in Mexico as we did outreaches and uh, mountain villages doing medical outreaches and children's outreaches and drilling wells and all kinds of different things to meet felt needs uh, so that people would open up their hearts to their spiritual needs of of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, So yeah, we we were in Mexico for about 14 years. By the grace of God, we were able to minister in several villages that didn't have any Christians, got to see the first people decide to follow Jesus. Jesus, sometimes after four or five years of working in a village, uh, finally saw people give their life to the Lord and get baptized, started seeing churches together, handed the work over to national uh, believers that could keep doing the discipleship and church planning work. Uh, We moved to Atlanta about 11 years ago to start ministering to refugees from about 65 different countries that live in our community. Our main focus now is training up missionaries. Uh, Like Nathan said, by the grace of God, we've been able to multiply what God's done in our heart and lives and what we learned. Uh, through years in Mexico and in Atlanta, working with Nepalis and Somalis and Ethiopians and Afghans and Syrians. And we've been training missionaries for a long time and been able to see 500 laborers raised
raised up and sent out uh, to Libya, to Afghanistan, to Indonesia, to Uzbekistan, Morocco, about 30 different countries. So we're, we're just really pleased that we've been able to sow seeds, disciple, invest in the future missionaries that are going to the field. So thank you guys for all of your prayers and continued support. Um, I talked to Pastor Dennis a few weeks ago, and we were like, what should we do? Like, what message does the congregation need to hear concerning missions? And he's like, I think we just need to get back to basics. I think we need to get back to the Word of God and, and talk about the why of missions. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I was chatting with somebody before the service, and they're like, I normally like to read the passage all week to get my heart prepared for worship, but there wasn't a good passage to look at for the sermon this week. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry about that. It's because we're going to look at a lot of passages. And I'm going to do a real quick run from Genesis to Revelation to see the why of missions. A lot of times when we have Mission Sunday or Missions Week at a church, we'll have a really good sermon on Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations, or we'll have a really good sermon on Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you are going to be filled with power from above, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And I've given many of those sermons. I enjoy those sermons. But sometimes with those sermons, we can come away with the idea that there's this little part of the Bible that talks about missions. And I really want us to see truly from Genesis to Revelation that we are talking about a missional God from cover to cover in this book. God is on this mission of redemption for every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It doesn't fit nice and neat into just one passage. It truly is the story of God and his glory throughout the pages. So let's pray, and then we'll do a real quick run from Genesis to Revelation. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for specific passages in it, and we thank you for the themes that we find throughout. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds. God, maybe passages that we've read a bunch of times before, you want to give us new insight and revelation. Change our hearts today. Grant us the gift of repentance of any attitudes or mindsets that aren't pleasing to you or not in alignment with your kingdom and your mission and your plan for all of humanity. Open up our minds and hearts, God. Open up your words. Speak to us individually and speak to us corporately as a church this morning so that we might live according to your will, God, that your kingdom might come and your will done in our individual lives, in us as a church in Williamsburg and among the nations. May you be pleased this morning. Have your way with us in Christ's awesome name we pray. Amen. Let's start right at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. If you want to open your Bibles or open your Bible app, let's see the very first words that God spoke when he created humankind. Genesis 1 verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Very important foundational passage of scripture. The very first time that God ever speaks to humankind in the entire Bible is right here in this verse. So our our ears need to perk up because God is going to reveal his plan, his desire for humankind. And before God speaks, God does something. He blesses. God blessed Adam and Eve, and then he spoke to them and gave them a commandment, a responsibility, a mandate, a mission. 
So God blesses Adam and Eve. They were just made in his image, male and female. And God looks down at male and female, and he says, this is very good. And God says, here's my commandment. Here's my mission. He blesses Adam and Eve, and he says, I want you guys to rule and reign. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill this entire earth, and I'm giving you the mandate to have dominion. Me and you together, the God of the universe, in relationship with humans to accomplish his purposes, to live out his kingdom, his reign, his rule, his dominion. Uh, Let's turn over a few pages to Genesis chapter 11. We know that humans did not like that plan. Adam Adam and Eve didn't like the plan of spreading God's glory and God's dominion and God's rule and God's reign. They wanted to live for themselves. Let us take from the fruit. Let us do this. We don't like God's plan. We want to live for us. We want to decide what's good and evil. We want to live for self. We see that generation after generation from Genesis 3 on. Sin is building. Sin is building. Humans say we want to live for us, not for God and his plan and his glory. We're going to live for ourselves, our reputation, our plan. And so God sends a flood and says, I'm going to wipe this planet Wipe humans off the face of this earth and start over. So in Genesis 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Jump down a few more verses to verse 7. And you, be fruitful, multiply, team on the earth and multiply in it. God wipes out the whole earth and starts over with Noah and his family. And it's the exact same phrases that God used in Genesis 1. God blessed Noah, just like God blessed Adam and Eve. And then God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Go to the north, south, east, and the west. Fill this planet with the glory of God. People that have relationship with me, the righteousness that Noah had. Um, Let's go over a few more pages. Maybe just flip the page to Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves so that we will not be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. Genesis 1, God had blessed Adam and told Adam and Eve to fill the earth. Genesis 9, God told Noah and his family, fill the earth. Genesis 9, humankind says, let's do something so we don't have to fill the earth. Let's stay right here where we're comfortable. Let's build ourselves a city. Let's build ourselves a tower. Let's work our way to heaven. Let's be good and our righteousness and our works. Let's us get close to the throne room, the kingdom, the heaven of God. And actually, maybe it's not even about God. Let's make a name for ourselves while we're building this tower. Let's make a reputation for ourselves God's desire is that humankind on this planet, their life's mission is to make great the name of God. Humans' life mission is to talk about the glory and the wonder and the beauty of how awesome God is. Humans in our flesh want to live for ourselves and our names and our glory and make a name for ourselves and reputation for ourselves. But God's desire has always been go to the ends of the earth, multiply yourselves, and make great 
the name of the Lord. Genesis 12, now, or Genesis uh, 11, let's go to 7 through 9. Come, let us go down. So now it's not humans saying, let us, let us, let us. Now God says, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off the building of the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. So God's desire is that this whole earth be filled with his glory. He wants to share his mercy. He wants to share his kindness. He wants to share his love. He wants to share his holiness. He wants to share his justice with all peoples of all times and all nations across the face of the entire earth. Humankind says, we want to stay here. We want to stay in Shinar. We want to stay in this place called Babel where we're comfortable. And God said, that's not my plan. So he scrambled the languages and he scrambled the people and he sent them all around the world so that we have all these languages and all these different cultures now. Genesis chapter 12, if you want to go there. Genesis 12, God grabs one of these people. God grabs one of these languages, grabs one of these nations and calls them to be his treasured people, his instruments to bless the rest of the world. Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." This is a super foundational passage. It lays the foundation for the rest of the Old Testament, and it continues this theme of blessing that we saw in Genesis 1. God blesses Adam and tells Adam to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with the blessing of God. God blesses Noah, says, Noah, fill the earth with the blessing of God. The nations get scattered and have all these different languages and cultures out there, and God grabs one family, one person, Abraham, and says, Abraham, here's my covenant. Here's my promise that I'm giving to you. I'm going to bless you and your family like crazy because here's my mission and here's my purpose. Through you and your descendants, you guys are going to be a blessing to all the peoples, to all the nations of the earth. Four more times after this, God repeats himself. Five times total in the book of Genesis, God repeats the same covenant that he made to Abraham. The next one happens in Genesis 18, 17 through 19. The next time happens in Genesis 22. This is, again, God talking to Abraham after he was willing to sacrifice his own son. And God said, I see your faithfulness. I see your obedience, Abraham. Even though you were willing to sacrifice your child, I provided a lamb so that you wouldn't have to. Abraham, let me remind you of the promise that I gave you. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to bless this son, Isaac, and Isaac is going to have children, and they're going to have children, and I'm going to bless your family, and your family is going to be a blessing to all the families, all the nations, all the people groups of the earth. So we've got this family of Israel in Genesis 28, 12 through 14. God speaks to Jacob and tells Jacob the exact, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 26, 2 through 4, God says the exact same thing to Isaac. Hey, Isaac, what I told your father, now I'm telling you, I'm going to bless you and you'll be a blessing to all the nations. Jacob, whose name got changed to Israel, God comes to Jacob slash Israel and says, hey, Israel, 
here's my plan for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family as I pour out my blessings and forgiveness and abundant life and grace and goodness and holiness and justice. As I pour those things out on your family and you experience abundant life and you experience God's blessing, you're going to take that and you guys are going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Um, Genesis, we'll hop to the New Testament real quickly because, or Galatians, sorry. Hop to Galatians. I want to show a New Testament verse that kind of points back to these passages, and it's worded really, really interesting. Galatians 3, verses 7 to 9. Knowing then that as those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessing along with Abraham, the man of faith. When Paul writes the book of Galatians, he remembers the promise in Genesis 12. It was like the foundation of his whole people. Like that's what the Hebrew people, that's what the Jewish people existed for. And Paul says, you know what? When God spoke to Abraham back then, God spoke the gospel to Abraham. Abraham didn't understand the fullness of the gospel as far as the Messiah coming, Jesus dying on the cross, raising on the third day. But Paul said his interpretation of God speaking to Abraham is that part of this gospel that we know and love is the part of the promise that this gospel that Paul now knows of because he understands the fullness of Jesus dying on the cross and raising again. He's like, the gospel is that message is supposed to be a blessing to all peoples. That's not just a Jewish Messiah. That's not just a Jewish crucifixion and resurrection. That's the Messiah for all the nations. And God preached that gospel to Abraham, saying, Abraham, through your family, Jesus happened to come through the bloodline of Abraham, died and was a blessing to all the nations. So part of our gospel isn't just our individual salvation, that if you have faith and repentance, you'll get to go to heaven after you die. That's really true. (laughs) But a big chunk of our gospel is God blesses you with salvation in Christ alone, and you take that blessing, and it's meant to be a blessing to all the nations. And the Gentiles get to be a part of God's family, because God's family isn't one ethnicity. God's family isn't one language. It's every tribe, tongue, people, and nation coming together in unity with one head Jesus and many different body parts giving God the glory that he deserves. Let's go back to our story. We're going to skip a few books to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8. Here's God speaking to Moses. Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear these statutes, here's what the peoples and nations are going to say. Surely this is a great nation. They're a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to them as this Lord Yahweh, this God is to us whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? 
So here's Deuteronomy. Moses is getting reminded of this desire that God had to bless the people of Israel and for them to be a blessing to all the nations. And God says, hey, Moses, I'm going to give you all these laws and statutes and decrees. When you guys go into the promised land, this is how I want you to live. Why do I want you to live this way? Because I want the nations and the Gentiles to look at Israel and say there's something special about those people. There's something different about those people. There's something different about the Yahweh that they pray to versus the Baal and Pharaoh and Egypt and all the other gods that are being prayed to. And God's desire is that he would use his people to live holy, set apart, different uh, lives, that they would be a priesthood of of all the believers in Israel. They would be a kingdom of priests that lived totally differently than the Canaanites did and the Jezebites and the Philistines. And they were going to live in love with God, submitted to a God, obeying God, living according to his, his law. And people would say, we want to follow that God. We've never seen a God like that. We've never seen rules and laws like that. We've never seen people filled with love. We've never seen people filled with as much grace as those people. And that's God's desire throughout the Old Testament for um, Israel. Book of Psalms. We did Psalm 67 this morning. One thing that's really interesting, a lot of times when we read the Bible, we kind of look for the promises in the Bible, and we want to apply those promises really quickly to our life. If you go to, I guess they've closed down most of the Christian bookstores these days, but normally you could go into a Christian bookstore and they would have promises of God for your life. I mean, whole books where you can just read and some there's some Bibles where you can go through and it's just the promises that are highlighted in yellow or something like that. We Americans, we love like the promises and blessings of God without like the responsibility and commandments and the things that God asks and requires of us. And I've found in scripture that a lot of times the promises and the responsibilities come hand in hand. It's kind of like the Spider-Man philosophy, right? (laughs) With great power comes great responsibility. With great love comes great responsibility. With great blessing comes great responsibility. Acts 1.8, with great power, the Holy Spirit, comes great responsibility. Be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Psalm 67, we kind of had... We, we spoke out loud a little while ago, and I've noticed that a lot of people know the verses in Psalm 67 that talk about, may the Lord bless us, <laughs> may the Lord shine his face upon us, but we're not so aware of the verses that talk about, because God wants to be praised and exalted among all the nations. Psalm 46, a lot of you guys probably know it, be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. 99% of all Americans can get Psalm 46, verse 10, part A right. Be still and know that I am God. Oh my goodness, I just lost my job. God, I'm going to be still and know that you are God. Oh my goodness, Lord, my kids are being terrible at school or their grades are bad or they're hanging out with kids I don't like. Be still. You're God. You're in control. I think that's a fine application of those passages. We need to be still and know that God's in control. God is sovereign. With all the craziness happening in our country and other countries, God is still in control. And we can be still and know that he is God. But why does most of the church not understand that God isn't just wanting to give us rest 
and God isn't wanting to just give us peace in our hearts and mind. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. Yes, I want you to be still and know that he's God. But I want the Afghans to be still and know that he's God. I want the North Koreans to be still and know that he's God. I want Cubans to be still and know that he is God. So be really careful as we're reading through scriptures. Look at the verses above and the verses below. Be careful of highlighting just the promises that are for you. Because so often in scripture, when there's promises, there's also responsibilities. Take the blessings that God wants to pour out on you. You're a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter of the almighty king. And he wants you to experience abundant life. I'm not talking like health, wealth, prosperity gospel. I'm just saying he wants you to experience himself. And that is good news. But he doesn't want just you to experience that. He wants the nations to experience that. So what does that mean practically in our lives? Let's get to the book of Ezekiel. God starts raising up prophets in the Old Testament to remind Israel of the call that they have on their lives, to remind them of the promises, but also the responsibilities from Adam to Noah to Abraham to the book of Deuteronomy to Moses. You are blessed to be a blessing to all nations. Ezekiel chapter 5, here's a prophet that God raised up to remind Israel of what their calling is. Ezekiel 5, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her, and she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries that are around her, for they have rejected my rules and they have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you are more turbulent than the nations that are all around you, and you have not walked in my statutes, and you haven't obeyed my rules, and you've not even acted accordingly to the rules of the nations that are around you, therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, I'm against you now, and I will execute judgments in your midst in the sight of the nations. So here's God coming to Israel through one of his prophets and saying, Israel, you're my chosen people. You're my family. I love you guys. I have poured out so much grace on you when you didn't deserve it. And my desire was for you to be a blessing to all the nations around you. I gave you laws and statutes, and I told you to live according to those so that people would see that you're different and they would want to follow Yahweh as well. But Israel, what you guys have done, you've started worshiping the other gods of the nations. You're doing the same sexual immorality that the nations are doing. You're lying and cheating and stealing just like the nations are. You're not following my decrees. You're not honoring the Sabbath. You're not honoring your father and your mother. You're not doing these things to show yourself set apart and different than the nations of the world. And so God said, you know what? I'm going to have to execute judgment. I'm going to have to let you guys be punished. And so there were times where God allowed things like Babylon to come and conquer Israel or Assyria to come in and conquer Israel because they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be a city on a hill. They were supposed to be the light of the world and they didn't do it. And so God would come and bring judgment to humble them, to break them down, to bring them to repentance, to say, oh God, we're so sorry. We started living for self. We started building a name for ourselves. We started living like the nations around us rather than your set apart, holy sons and daughters, kids, family of yours. And there would be this cycle of repentance and sin, repentance and sin, repentance and sin. Uh, Daniel chapter seven. This is one of Jesus's favorite passages in the Old Testament, which is kind of fun to read a passage that Jesus really, really loved. 
uh, he, he, he referred to himself as the son of man more than any other title. So when he would talk about himself, he would say, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And when he's using that phrase, son of man, most likely he's pointing to either the book of Ezekiel, but more likely this Daniel passage. So here's the son of man that Jesus referred to himself as in Daniel 7. Daniel seven thirteen and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before them, him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion. It will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. Daniel has this vision of a coming king, a coming Messiah. And Daniel got so excited about this vision because this king looked different than any other king that he had ever seen. It didn't look like the king of Babylon. It didn't look like Nebuchadnezzar. It didn't look like Darius. It didn't look like the kings of Egypt, like Pharaoh. It didn't even look like Israel's kings. Didn't even look like Saul or David or Solomon in all of their glory. Daniel saw this vision of this son of man like an ancient of days. And when the son of man comes, he's going to establish this kingdom that doesn't look like the Egyptian kingdom. It doesn't look like the Babylonian kingdom. It doesn't look like the Roman empire in Jesus's day. Doesn't look like the American kingdom or the Chinese kingdom. There's this son of man, this Messiah that's going to come, that's going to start this everlasting kingdom that doesn't look like the kingdoms of this earth. It's an upside down kingdom. It's an invisible kingdom, Jesus says. You can't say, I saw it or there it is, but it's a kingdom that's in the midst of you. It's inside of you. It's a spiritual kingdom full of people that live under the rule and reign of God. God is king. God is Lord. God is Savior. And people that in their hearts live under the kingship, lordship of this King Jesus, this King God, this Messiah Christ, make up this family. And it's not a Jewish kingdom, and it's not an American kingdom, and it's not an Egyptian kingdom. It literally is made up of people from all the nations and all the peoples together. We have brothers and citizens, we have brothers and sisters that are citizens along with us from every ethnicity language group that are part of this family of God under the headship of this King Messiah, Ancient of Days, Son of Man, Jesus. Malachi, very last um, book in the Old Testament, just so that we can see that this theme of God and the nations and being on mission isn't just Matthew 28, the Great Commission, or Acts 1, Matthew, Malachi 1, verse 11. For from the rising to the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be made great among the nations. In every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi is pointing right back to Genesis chapter one. When God said, be fruitful, multiply and fill the entire earth with the glory of God. We want incense being lit. We want worship. We want prayers to Almighty God happening among all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. There's about 16,000 people groups in the world today. They said there's about 9,000 different languages 
And they still say that about 7,000 of those people groups or language groups don't have scriptures in their language, don't have a single believer among them, don't have churches among them. They say there's about 2.7 billion people living among these unreached people groups. Malachi says, from the rising to the setting of the sun, as far as you can see to the east and as far as you can see from the west, that's how far Jesus threw everybody's sins away. But there's about two, at least 2 billion people that have never heard about this Savior that threw their sins as far as the east is from the west. And God's desire is that his Messiah, his son, King Jesus, would be proclaimed to all the nations. How does God want to accomplish that? Through his chosen people. His chosen people in the Old Testament was Israel. They were supposed to be a light to the nations through their deeds, their actions, and through their words. Who's God's chosen people in the New Testament? The church, the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Christ. God wants us to fulfill what was supposed to happen through Israel, that we would be a light, that we would be a city on a hill, that people would look at Christians and say, there's something different about the God of the Christians. That's different than anything I experienced while I was in India with 200 million God options over there. The Jesus that the Christians talk about is way more than the teacher Jesus that they told us about in Islam. And it's way different than Muhammad. It's way different than Sharia law. There's something different about the way those followers of Jesus talk and love one another and act and the hope that they have about the future and their lack of fear of death. Because death doesn't have a sting for those guys, and it's really weird, <laughs> but really awesome and attractive at the same time. So God has always had this mission of blessing people and asking those people a blessing to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, so we need to pray and ask God how he would want us to fulfill that. A couple passages real quickly in the New Testament just to show this theme of nations and blessings and how God desires every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to hear about him, to fall in love with him, to worship him, to make a great name about him. Mark 11. Let's go to Mark 11. There's this passage where Jesus clears the temple because he's filled with this holy, righteous anger that the temple isn't being used for the purposes that God created it for. So Mark 11, verse 17, And Jesus was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Jesus walks into the temple. You get a feel that he's in the outer courts. The outer courts is where the Gentiles were allowed to hang out and come and worship God. And so he walks into the outer courts uh, where the Gentiles are supposed to be saying, Yahweh is awesome, lighting incense, bringing their animals for sacrifice, all these different things. And there's just business happening in the outer courts. There's money changing and corruption probably and business as usual rather than worship. There was people making a name for themselves and probably building their own reputation and building their own pocketbook. And Jesus is grieved deep in his spirit and he has compassion and he has a holy anger and he makes this whip and he cleans out the temple and he says, guys, you are not using my father's house correctly. My father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is supposed to be a place where people pray. And what do they pray for and who prays? Prayer for the nations. Yahweh's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. 
In the Old Testament, God's house of prayer was a physical place. It was on the mountain. It was in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting. It was the temple where God's glory filled it. So in the Old Testament, you've got this concept that God's temple or the house or the dwelling place of the Lord is a specific place or a specific building. You get into New Testament theology. What's the house of God? People. <laughs> It's not a building anymore. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in each person and us corporately. We are the house of God. Do we still come into the house of God on Sundays? Absolutely. But we corporately, we are now the house of God. And Jesus says, I want my house of God to be a house of prayer for all the nations. How often in our quiet times or our times of the Lord are we spending time asking God that he would be worshipped and exalted among the people of Bhutan? How often do we get on our knees and say, God, I want the Somalis to experience your blessings. I want them to experience the love of Jesus and forgiveness of Jesus. How often in our corporate times as a church, whether it's Bible study or Sunday morning, um, I love that all of these flags are up here to remind us that God is not an American God. We can be patriots. We can be proud of our country. Go vote on Tuesday. Get involved with elections. But we also need to remember that God did not send Jesus to die for America. <laughs> for God so loved the world. All these flags that he sent Jesus. Uh, yeah, it's just so hard to live in America and not be American focused. <laughs> and we get that question even as missionaries sometimes. They're like, there are so many problems in America. Why are you guys going to Mexico? Why are you guys going to Thailand? Why are you sending people to India? Haven't you turned on the news? Haven't you seen the violence in our cities? Haven't you seen the immigration problems? Haven't you seen inflation? Haven't you seen our democracy is going to get lost? All these different things. And they're like, we have so much need right here. I mean, I got a week uh, of email from our school, our kids' school last week, and it was pretty concerning some of the curriculum that they're going to change in health class. I was like, this is a big deal. <laughs> Things are changing in this country. This country needs This country needs Jesus. But Jesus was sent by the Father to die on the cross as a sacrifice for all the nations. And there are a lot of Christians in this country that can be salt, that can be light, that can shine the love of Jesus in this country. And there's still places that have very few missionaries in them at all that are telling people about God, telling them about the love of Jesus, telling them how they experience, can experience the blessings of God and live on mission with God. So I would encourage you guys individually and as a church to ask what it means to be what Jesus wants his house to be, a house of prayer for all nations. Matthew 24. This is the verse that's in the bulletin, so maybe you got to read this one ahead of time for the sermon. Just didn't happen to be an entire passage to meditate on. Matthew 24, the context is the disciples come up to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, you're talking about coming again soon. You're talking about truly establishing your kingdom. When is that going to happen? And in Matthew 24, Jesus says, Here, here's when you're going to know the end times are really, really close. This is like the birth pains. This is like when the woman's going into a labor and the baby's about to come. And Jesus says, here's what that's going to look like. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. There's going to be a lot of people that fall away from the faith and decide not to love God or follow God anymore. And then Jesus throws this prophecy in, in Matthew 24, and he says, in the midst of earthquakes and famines and apostasy and people falling away, 
this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to Pantata Ethne, Greek word, to all the ethnic groups of the world, and then the end will come. I turn on the news in America, and I turn on the news around the world, and I am so ready for Jesus to come back. Like, I, I can't wait. Like, I feel what Paul felt when he was like, I want Christ to come back now. Um, I am not comfortable in this country. I'm not comfortable on this planet. We truly are sojourners. We truly are passerbys. This truly is a temporary home. It would be a little bit silly for us to get overly obsessed with America or overly obsessed with China or overly obsessed with Mexico or any other country because those are all temporary things. What we need to be obsessed with is God and his kingdom. And God says... Here's what's going to happen at the end of times. When the lady goes into labor, here's what the birth pains are going to feel like. And Jesus said, this gospel is going to go to the whole world, to all the ethnic groups, and then the end will come. I did say there's 2 billion people that are in places that have very little access to the gospel, but we are closing in on the number of people groups that have never had a missionary that have stepped inside their language group. I just had the privilege about two weeks ago to do the the dedication of a Burmese group, a real small minority group called the Zoe People. The Zoe People just got the Jesus film dedicated in their language. It was the 2,000th one that's ever been created out of the 7,000 languages on the earth. And so to go there and watch these Zoe People from Myanmar, from Burma, watch the big screen. And Jesus comes on the big screen and he starts speaking the Zoe language. And I get to watch these people all whispering to one another. Uh, most of them have never heard, watched a movie in their language. Maybe they've watched movies in English or Burmese. And what's crazy is back in the day, it would have been Wycliffe missionaries or other Bible translators or folks that would have gone into Myanmar, helped them translate the Bible, helped them get the Jesus film right there in Myanmar, and then put the sheet up on a screen and show it to people in the village. I did that many times over in Mexico. Maybe some of you guys did that with us on short-term trips down there. But this is a group of Zoe people that had immigrated to America. And so there's a group of Christians here. They needed like 14 people to record the different uh, voices of John the Baptist and Jesus and Peter and Mary Magdalene. So they got these actors and they did all this in America uh, with these people from the Zoe people. And we got to be there at the showing and just to watch Jesus speak words of truth and words of life in the mother tongue of the Zoe people. They didn't have to become American to be followers of Jesus. They didn't have to speak the Burmese language. God is a God of the nations. He loves the smallest tribe in the mountains of Burma. And God sent his son. And to watch at the end of that movie, the death of Jesus, thinking Jesus died for the Zoe people. If the Zoe people would have been the only ones on this planet, I think God still would have sent his son to shed his blood to purchase the Zoe people, to get their worship and praise and glory and to pour out his blessings upon them. Let's get to the very end of the book. We'll see how it ends to kind of prove that from Genesis to Revelation, this whole book is a missions book. This whole book is a book about the story of God and his glory among all the peoples. We can't just be America-focused. And I'm not getting into a politics and America first policy. Every country I go to, they love their country. Mexicans love their country. We love celebrating Mexican Independence Day down there. Viva la patria. The, uh, you know, they, they love their culture. They love their 
maybe not their politics, but they love their heritage. Every country is allowed to love their country. But we as followers of Jesus, that comes way down the list of our dedication to Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all the nations. And we have, if our God is a God of all the nations, if our Lord and King is constantly thinking about the nations of the world, we as children of Yahweh, children of, of the King, ch- parts of the body of the head, Lord Jesus, then we have to be concerned about the nations. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every nation and every people, every um, tongue. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This points right back to Genesis chapter 1. God's original intention for humankind on this planet was to make male, female in his image. Out of that male and female came all the cultures and languages of the entire world. At the end of the book, God gathers people from all those tribes and tongues and nations, and he turns them into the kingdom of priests that he always desired for them to be. That was his desire in Genesis chapter 1. That was his desire in Genesis chapter 9. That was his desire in the Old Testament for the people of Israel to be a kingdom of people under his headship that would rule and reign for all of eternity with him. That's been his desire for the church. And the church is going to culminate once we've taken this gospel to all the nations and we've gone to the highways and the byways and we've gone to the north and the south and the east and the west and we get to all the groups in Japan and all the groups in Thailand and all the groups in Indonesia and all the groups in Saudi Arabia, once we get the gospel to all of those places, God's book, God's fulfillment, uh, God's plan is fulfilled as he's purchased people. Jesus spilt blood, and as that blood was spilling, he was buying some of the Zo people in Burma. He was buying some of the Kurds in Iraq. He was buying, there's a people group called the Bozos in Morocco. And Jesus was spilling blood because he wants the bozos worshiping him. End of the book, Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all the tribes, and all the peoples, and all the languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, They were clothed in white robes and they were waving palm branches in their hands. They were crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. He sits on the throne and to the lamb, Jesus. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. That is the end of our book. (laughs) That is how our story ends. And that, like Pastor Dennis was saying, is why we need to understand why we're involved in missions. Not just because Jesus commanded it in Matthew 28, and if we follow Jesus, we should obey his commandments. That's true. But honestly, this whole book is about this God that's building a family calling a people to be blessed and to live on mission, to be a blessing to all the nations. And once that blessing makes it to all the nations, God is going to gather all of his people. And we're going to look around 
and maybe some of the people that we had bad attitudes on this earth. Hopefully God is causing repentance and change in our hearts right now towards people groups that are going to be represented in heaven. There are going to be North Koreans standing next to you in heaven. (laughs) There's going to be Cubans. There's going to be Russians, believe it or not, standing right next to us in heaven. We've got brothers and sisters that are being persecuted over there right now. There's people that are down south of our border right now. There's people in Haiti that they're going to be dressed in white because Jesus died on the cross and they get to wear white robes, the exact same robes that we got because we were washed in the blood of Jesus. So we get this great... um, joy to be involved in missions. It's not a manipulative have to. Jesus said it, so we have to obey. It's an invitation to play a part in God's story, whether that's international students on William and Mary campus hopping in, getting involved in Newport News with some some of the uh, refugees from Afghanistan. Maybe God calls some people in this congregation to go to some of these places that have not heard the name of Jesus yet. Maybe some of you guys give tithes and offerings to this church so you guys can continue blessing the many missionaries that you're blessing around the world. Maybe you start supporting Mission to the World, MTW, and seeing more of your funds go to this purpose of seeing God bless all the nations of the earth. And then we get to end. Father God, we thank you for this time. What a beautiful scene. (laughs) I'm ready to wave those palm branches, Lord. I'm ready for my white robe. Your grace is so good. I don't deserve it. None of the nations deserve it. But you're so merciful. You're so kind. You pour out forgiveness on those that don't deserve it. God, give us a heart for all the nations, just like you have a heart for all the nations. Show us how to pray for the nation. Show us how to give to the nations. Show us how to welcome the nations that are coming to this country. Show us how we can be more strategic in going to the places that still don't have Bibles or missionaries. God, we want so badly for heaven to be full of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We can't wait for the Son of God, the Son of Man, to Truly, truly, God, we've gotten tastes of your kingdom, but we're ready for the fullness of your kingdom that will last forever and ever. And it will be from people from the north and south and east and west, and it'll be eternal, not like an American kingdom or an Egyptian kingdom or Babylonian kingdom. It will be the kingdom of God forever. We are so full of hope and we can't wait. Use us, Lord. Pour out your blessings. As you pour out blessings, we won't just keep them to ourselves. We'll be faithful to make sure that those blessings go to the nations, to the ends of the earth. We love you, God. In Christ's awesome name we pray. Amen.